Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and there are approximately 10 days, 20 hours, 38 minutes, and about 54 seconds until the end of 2019. In a moment, I'll be joined by my co-host, Great Viney, as we chat with Demon Utility, Bailey Fritch. And later tonight, we'll be joined by Demon Land match report writer, George on the outer to discuss last weekend's loss to Collingwood and we'll also ask George how in a year as uh, disappointing as this year has been, how he musters up the energy and the will to write up a review of the game and hand it in within hours of the match ending. But first, uh, Bailey Fritch. And then Jaden Hunt just bangs it onto his boot, long ball, that's Walsh! Bailey Fritch on debut! What a way to start your career. Great effort from McInerney. Affected the kick. It might still work for Fritsch. He's a left footer. And a talented left footer. Even now for D's one-on-one. Ball out the back. Bailey Fritsch put the one mid up. Can he get it again as he goes to the ground? Flicked it back. Harrison Petty back to Fritsch. And the D's get a goal. Our guest tonight took the road less travelled to an AFL career. He was overlooked by the Eastern Rangers and whilst playing Division 4 in the AFL with Coldstream, he was invited to train with Casey in the VFL. It was there in 2017 where he took out the Fothergill Round Medal for Best Young VFL Player and as a result caught the eye of the Demons who then selected him with pick 31 in the national draft of that year. He has a pinpoint pass, he's a high flyer, takes a great contested mark for his size and can kick a goal. Welcome to the Demonland Podcast, Bailey Fritch. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. <clears throat> Not a problem. As mentioned in the intro, you were overlooked to play under-18s football, playing in Division 4 in the EFL for Coldstream. Did you ever dream that one day you'd be playing AFL, let alone finals at the MCG? <laughs> no, I guess as a kid, um, you've always got that dream to, I guess, one day um, yeah, be running around on the MCG, but um, yeah, for it to become a reality and then, yeah, play some finals three last year was... Um, yeah, pretty surreal to be honest, but um, yeah, it was unbelievable and um, yeah, good fun. Bailey, you made the grade the hard way, uh, driving for hours at a time to get to training whilst working full time. Did that stand you in better stead for your career than perhaps uh, if you'd gone the sort of the easier route that most players uh, go through where you have everything on a platter for you? Yeah, I guess I don't really take it for granted knowing that... Um, I guess when I was an electrician, waking up at five in the morning, um, heading off to work, and then, um, yeah, as you say, going out to play VFL three times a week, not getting home till 10 o'clock at night. So, um, yeah, every everything I do at the club, I do it to its full potential, I guess, and, um, yeah, not leaving any stone unturned, just trying to get um, the most out of myself every day and, I guess, living this track as long as I can. Um, and a number of clubs noticed uh, your form uh, in the VFL. Uh, there was the D's, and uh, I believe West Coast were keen for your services. Uh, what was the feeling like when your name was uh, finally called? Yeah, I was just at home with um, just my immediate family and um, a close mate. Um, but yeah, that was uh, <laughs> it was a pretty weird feeling. It didn't really feel real till um, I guess the Monday when I was in at the club. Um, but yeah. As soon as that name got read out, it was um, yeah, there's a lot of emotions. That's for sure. 
Bailey, you handled the transition. You handled the transition to uh, AFL extremely well. How much of an adjustment was it going from uh, where you were playing in the uh, AFL with Coldstream to VFL and then to AFL, uh, where the obviously a lot bigger bodied uh, players? Yeah, I guess um, with anything, just t- it takes a little bit of time to adapt, but. Um... I reckon probably um, in those pre-seasons, going from local footy to VFL and then from VFL to AFL, um, when you train with um, that quality of player um, during the pre-season for three, four months, um, you sort of get used to it and then you play a couple of practice matches. Like I played uh, the two JLTs last year leading into the game. Um, I played a few practice matches um, when I first come out of local footy in the VFL. So I guess it probably helped with the transition. But um, yeah, once you sort of play a couple of games, you sort of get used to the speed and, um, yeah, it's all systems go from there. Uh, Bailey, we, we love a first uh, kick, first goal player, and although you didn't quite achieve that, where well, you kicked a point with your first kick, uh, you certainly followed that up with a great mark and a goal with your second kick in front of a big crowd at the G. How was that feeling? Yeah, that first one would have been nice to go through, but, um, yeah, when I took that mark and in front, I thought... Um, yeah, I can't, can't miss this one, can I? But um, yeah, when I when I pulled that mark down, yeah, against Geelong, um, yeah, it was unreal. The boys got around me, so yeah, no, it was good. You kicked a very healthy forty-two goals for Casey before uh, starting your career at the D's, uh, where you kicked seventeen alongside the likes of Hogan and Tommy McDonald. Um, you then transitioned to the back line later in the season. What was the impetus uh, for that move? And had you played much footy down back? No, so I played pretty much all my junior careers um, in the forward line, pretty much my whole footy career in the forward line, to be honest. Um, it was probably more just last year. I, I played a little bit on a wing, and um, I guess when you're playing as a wingman, you, you, you're heading down back to help out with the back line. And I think the coach has probably seen just a couple of things that they potentially thought could... Um, be good in in me and playing as a backman. Um, so they tried that. I, I think we might have got an injury um, late in the year. I can't quite remember who it was, but I ended up um, yeah going to play in that back seven in the in the back rotation. And um, yeah, obviously it was good learning, and it was only going to um, help my footy. Um, but yeah, now coming back this year, um, I've, I've obviously played a little bit of back. That's probably more from an injury point of view. Um, a little bit of wing, but yeah, now um, back down forward, which has been good fun for the past um, yeah four or five weeks. Uh, one of the major talking points among D's fans last September was your omission from the team that travelled to Perth for the preliminary final. How disappointing was that for you, and h- how have you learned from that experience? Yeah, obviously it was um, it was really disappointing, um, but it was the right it was the best thing for the team on um, on that given week and. Um, I guess I was doing everything I can in that if we had got through to in the VFL grand final the next day to, I guess, put my name up to selection um, for the grand final. But, yeah, obviously that didn't eventuate. But, um, yeah, it was obviously, if you put things in perspective, it was my first year. Um, I'd played 23 games. So if you had have said that to me at the start of the year, I would have definitely taken that. But, yeah, definitely I was disappointed. And, um, yeah, it sort of, I guess, maybe gave me a little bit of drive in the preseason. But, um, yeah, not a, not a whole heap. Um, after playing most of the year in defence, you were moved back into the forward line uh, due to season-ending injuries uh, to 
Tommy Mack and Sam Wiedemann. Uh, since moving forward, you've kicked 12 goals, 10. You've taken 41 marks in five games, including hauls of 14 marks against the Eagles and 10 marks each in the last two games. Uh, in a year where the connection between the midfield and the forward line you know, has been widely criticised, you seem to be thriving as a forward target. Uh, besides yourself going forward, what's changed uh, to get that connection? Yeah, I guess as as a team, we've that's probably been one of our main priorities. That four to I guess fifty or seventy connection. Um, I guess since I've been down there, I've just been we've all been working really hard together, working together as a group, um, and um, obviously working pretty closely with with Jade Rawlings. He's been unbelievable for not only me but the whole forward group and our ball movement in general. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's still um, patchy, but I think it's definitely getting more consistent. Um, every week since probably the second half of the year. Uh, do you have a preference for playing forward and do you think you'll remain there uh, next season when Tommy Mack and uh, and Sam return? Um, yeah, I love playing forward, but um, yeah, I, th- I think I've always sort of said wherever wherever Goody and the coaching staff need me to play, I'm, uh, I'm happy to run out there on the weekend. But um, yeah, I think going forward, potentially there'll be maybe forward, uh, maybe mid, a uh, wing roll, something like that. But yeah, as I said, just wherever good he needs me, I'm uh, yeah, I'm happy to do. Uh, a lot has been made of the late start to our preseason as a result of finals last year. Uh, we had a lot of off-season surgeries and uh, the you know interrupted preseasons to many players, and that having an impact and making us sort of have a slow start to the year. Uh, that's the view from us as outsiders. Um, for you, as someone on the inside, how much of a role do you think that's had in in the season this year? Yeah, obviously it's not ideal, um, but we're not we're not here to make excuses. Um, we all, I guess, going into preseason uh, round one. Sorry, like although we had some interrupted preseason, we were ready to go. Um, it obviously hasn't panned out to the way we wanted, but um, yeah, we've been working real hard on week to week on on, on our game, and um, unfortunately, it hasn't quite been as consistent as we would have liked but um, I guess in the past probably six to eight weeks although the results haven't gone our way we've definitely um, showed more signs of playing uh, Melbourne footy but yeah just not consistent enough to to win a game but um, hopefully we can I guess build some momentum in the uh, the second half of oh, the last two games sorry and um, yeah take that into pre-season and um, season 2020. How confident are you that we can bounce back next year and uh, rediscover the form of 2018? Ah, super confident, super confident. Um, I guess with a, with another preseason, like, I guess you can't really. Um, this game doesn't know you or anything, and um, as you, as we've um, found out this year, um, you can go from the top to the bottom pretty quickly. So we'll be doing everything we can um in this upcoming pre-season and um to, to uh yeah be fit and fine and ready to go come um, around one 2020 uh, just a couple of last questions for you bailey and we're extremely grateful for your time this evening um what what are the boys doing to keep morale and spirits up during such a dismal season if you're uh, i guess if you're around the club right now you probably wouldn't um probably wouldn't know that the results aren't going our way so I think that's one good part about um, about the footy club. It's um, everyone's still up and about, and um, we're all helping each other, getting getting each other through, and trying to, uh, I guess, better ourselves every day we're in at the club, and trying to bring our best um, out on game day. 
And finally, Bailey, um, I've got to ask you, what's it like being the greatest player of all time to ever play the AFLX format? <laughs> yeah, nah. um, yeah, I've, I've copped a little, uh, copped a little crap about over that, but um, yeah. nah, it's not too bad. Um, I guess yeah, to win the two premierships is good fun, and it's unfortunate that um, yeah, we can't go around again next year. But um, yeah, nah, it's a bit of a laugh. All right, Bailey, I just want to thank you for, for joining us uh, tonight. We really appreciate your time and we, we look forward to, to a much better year for the D's uh, next year. Thank you very much for your time. No, too easy, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, thank Thanks, you. Bailey. That was uh, Bailey Fritch. Thanks again to Bailey and the MFC uh, for uh, his time tonight. We really appreciate it. Uh, Grape Viney has had to bail on me uh, tonight for the rest of the program. He's not feeling well, so uh, he's going to have a, a nice little rest. Uh, and uh, he tells me that um, he's going to uh, be playing the last two games uh, and then we'll go into postseason surgery and we'll be, uh, we'll be right for round one. But joining me tonight, as I mentioned earlier, is uh, his first time on the Demonland podcast he is the Demonland match review, match report uh, writer. It's George on the outer. Good evening, George. How are you going? Good evening, Andy, and uh, thanks for the invitation. I'm sorry to hear uh, Great Vine is not with us tonight, but uh, a last-minute injury is uh, pretty typical of the Melbourne side and supporters, so um, uh, it's a pity that he's not here as well. And like uh, the Melbourne interchange bench, I don't think that I'll be as good a replacement uh, as Super Mercado has been over the over the last year. But again, thank you for the invitation. No, not a problem. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, yes, yeah, so Grapevine was our mystery injury of the week, and as you said, we're we're used to that every single week. There's always someone who who just pops up when uh, least expected. Um, uh, if anyone would, if you'd like to join the program tonight and uh, join George and I to discuss any of the topics that we talk about, you can give us a call zero three nine zero one six three triple six. That's nine zero one six three triple six. Skype us uh, Demonland thirty one. If you're listening to the show live, you can also join us in the chat room where you can ask questions or post comments. Just head over to demonland.com slash podcast. Uh, if you're listening to the show later on at your leisure via SoundCloud on demonland.com or via Apple or an Android podcasting app, be sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive some updates when a new show drops. Don't forget to leave a favorable review, as many of you have done, to help more people find us. We're also on Spotify, so you can get the show that way. Go to demonland.com to find the links to your preferred method of listening. Uh, on social media, follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash demonland31, Twitter at demonland, Instagram at demonland31, or go to YouTube and search for Demonland Podcast. You can listen to some of the interviews that we've conducted with current and past players and coaches, and Bailey Fritch's interview will be up there uh, very shortly. If you love talking about the D's 24-7 all year round, join us on demonland.com. And you can chat with other D's fans about this great club. Now, George, with all that uh, out of the way, let's uh, let's dissect. Uh, this is the, the the part of the the week that I, I I've been dreading this year. This uh, is always painful, isn't it? <laughs> it's very painful, and uh, I know every time you submit uh, you su- submit your your reports to me, you always write. Uh, hope you'll be able to get up to do the podcast. And I must ask you, how do you within hours? of the match ending, how are you able, especially in a year like this, how are you able to, to get up and write about what you, you, you see? 
It's, it's all very easy, actually, Andy. What, I, what I've learnt is don't write anything straight after the game. Uh, at least um, wait a couple of hours until the, the dust settles and the emotions have calmed down a little bit to, um, to actually do a proper analysis of what, what's been seen and what wasn't seen. Um, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd be very good uh, writing uh, immediately after the game. There's probably pr- plenty of evidence uh, on Demon Land about that <laughs> from other posters, uh, uh, particularly this this last season. Um, so I, I avoid that at all at all costs. And um, mainly when I'm writing, I'm trying to focus on on uh, particular points through the game. Um, uh, I was very fortunate <clears throat> um, a couple of years ago. Uh, to be asked to be an, an assistant coach for my nephew's football team. Um, what that taught me was not so much about coaching, but when you're the assistant, you've actually got to look at what's going on on the ground. Um, so that's really um, uh, heightened my um, uh, interest in the game of football itself rather than just watching where the ball's going. You've got to be looking behind the play and where the, posi- the players are being positioned. So um, you know, it was a great, great learning experience for me in that situation. <clears throat> Well, it's good that you mentioned uh, uh, not. Um, oh, I should keep that uh, that down. We've got a call coming in now. I usually have uh, the calling volume down, but uh, we'll take this call. Uh, good evening. You're on the uh, Demonland podcast. Who am I talking to? Bob. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, can you just repeat that? Bob. Oh, Bob. How are you doing, Bob? Good thanks. That's good. Um, what What would you like to talk about tonight? Oh, I was just—I just thought I was going to hear an interview with Bailey Fritch. Oh, so it doesn't matter. Have 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 you? Um, did, did you not listen to the the interview? We just uh, we just completed it. Uh, oh, sorry. Okay, I was too late. <laughs> you, okay, not a problem. Thank you. All right, thank you, Barb. Uh, if Bye. if you uh, download the podcast uh, during the week, you'll you'll get to uh, listen to that. It'll be up uh, tonight. Okay. All thank right, you. thanks, Barb. All right, uh, that was Barb, everyone. Uh, thank you for um, thank you for for calling. Um, wasn't, that a, wasn't that a great interview from from Bailey? Yeah, for, for a kid who's um, you know playing out of Coldstream, driving himself all that way to get to uh, training and and you know finishing up playing in finals. What a great experience for for a young kid, and it shows the value of of hard work. Um, to get you where you want to be. So. It, it is a great story, particularly he was an electrician. So, like, as he said, he was getting up at five in the morning, uh, you know, working all day, going to training, not getting home at night till, like, 10 o'clock at night. Um, just an amazing, amazing story. So, um, you know, it's it, it's it's fantastic that, uh, you know, he's been so successful and at the moment, you know, probably one of our better players um, and there aren't Indeed. too many of them. Indeed, and, and I think that's a, a sad reflection, unfortunately, of the state of the, the playing group at the moment of who is available that, you know, we're depending on a, you know, a second-year, third-year type player um, to hold the forward line effectively. And at the same time, we've got, you know, a 19-year-old Harry Petty in his, what, sixth game, I think, you know, doing doing a similar sort of job that... Um, the, the Bicky barrel is really, really right at the very bottom, although both of those players look to be um, well-equipped for the future and, and may well represent a, a real shining light to come out of this season. But, um, yeah, we, we're right at the bottom when we've got such young and undeveloped players taking up key roles in, at the moment. So. <clears throat> well, Bailey's been fantastic. but um, I didn't realise till I looked at, at his stats the last couple of weeks since he's gone back forward 
particularly his marking stats. Um, mm-hmm. uh, f- the 14 against the Eagles and the 10 marks the last two weeks. It, it's fantastic. And particularly in a year where we've really struggled, uh, as I mentioned in interview, is that, that the, the connection between the midfield and the forward line, you know, having... Bailey Fritch, who isn't a, a key position forward to be the one who's taking all these marks. And he's such a good contested mark. He's so good overhead. Um, you know, his arms are, are stick thin and he's able to take these marks. Uh, it, it's He's just a, you know, shining light on a... On yeah, a... That's, it's incredible. We, we'd be happy with any forward to be taking 10 marks in a game. But, um, you know, again, someone who's uh, not not assigned as a key forward to be able to do that is even fan, uh, fantastic, more fantastic for us, um, particularly as we go into the next season and hopefully we've got a couple of bigger bodies up there and instead of Bailey Fritch having to take on the, the likes of the Hearns and McGovern's and, uh, in the back line that um, he'll be picking up someone uh, who's a number three defender rather than the one and two defenders that he's currently doing. Same, same with Harrison Petty. Uh, he's been very impressive. Uh, in these last couple of weeks, and like I said, uh, I think people forget that he's only 19 years of age. Yeah, it's it's quite incredible. So, not only is he 19 years of age, but he's also not not a forward, and he's been played mm. as a forward as a because we've needed him there. Same as we've had to throw Bailey back, even though Bailey is a forward. And it'll be interesting to see next year what happens once T Max back, once Weed's back in the team. Um, what the dynamics of the forward line, if Petty, if they sort of try Petty there as maybe a third tall, I'm not sure they're going to go with three talls in the forward line. Um, I would say you'd have to keep Bailey down there, but it'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Yeah, I think Petty's um, really starting to stamp a position down the forward line. Um, You know, he really is a a strong mark. uh, he came from, you know, I, I remember his first game against St Kilda last year. It was absolutely appalling. He was thrown to the wolves again because we had no other options at yeah. the time. But for a kid kid of that age to come back from that that experience um, and then turn up uh, and be forced into the forward line and show the form that he has, I think he's got a real future uh, down there for us. And uh, he's it needs to, you know, like a lot of these younger players, needs to put on a bit of weight and strength and uh, he could well be the, the forward that we've been looking for for quite a while. So um, fingers crossed in that respect. Uh, you know, we've had our, our own injury issues this year and I think it's fair to say that we're still playing with a team stacked with, as you mentioned, with top-up players. Uh, but the Pies, they also have a huge list of outs. Uh, obviously, we've been impacted by injuries more consistently throughout the year than they have, but they were depleted on the weekend. And uh, prior to the game, I actually thought uh, we might have been a sneaky chance to knock them off or perhaps, you know, and dent their top four aspirations, um, you know. But then I was thinking if we lost to them, the wider football community, and which we did, the wider f- football community would laugh at us and say we lost to a second-rate Collingwood. But then, you know, if they won, then they'd say we only beat a second-rate Collingwood. So we were in a bit of a no-win situation and we ended up not winning. So <laughs> Yeah, I think the other fortunate thing for us this weekend is uh, Essendon and North Melbourne both turned on uh, some performances which distracted the media in a rather big way. Um, so we, we were the, uh, a minor problem uh, for the writers to find something to write about this week. Uh, compared to uh, those particular teams' performances. But uh, I think it was just as interesting that, uh, you know, Essendon in particular 
um, have run into the same problem as us, that you know, when you lose your major um, positional players in the side, it is devastating in a competition which is so even these days. Any side, you know, probably apart from the Suns, um, any side really can beat any other side on their day. And when you lose those critical players in the side, you're in deep, deep strife. And um, I don't think that, I don't, you know, it's a pity Super Mercado's uh, not around. Hopefully he's listening. But he might be able to tell us whether um, a Melbourne side in the past has ever had 21 consecutive goals kicked against them, as Eston did this weekend. I'll have to, I'll have to ask him that one, and maybe we'll, do, we'll bring it up next week. Um, but uh, like es- Essendon, they got absolutely thumped this week. Um, I think on a plus side to us, we've only been thumped really once this year with the 80 points. And uh, uh, GW, yeah. GWS, I think we were 40 or something points. But other than that, we haven't really been destroyed by teams, uh, which I guess is a plus to us. But we, you know, we still aren't. We, we, those wins are still elusive to us at the moment. Um, yeah. And, and and again, that that's not unexpected in a way that the competition is that close, and you bring in um, not second-rate players but second-string players into the side. They're just unable to perform in the same way that your first twenty-two are able to, and it's and it's um, it's when you the game gets to that point and those critical points in the in the game where you just need to hit that player, you just need to kick that goal, you just need to take the opportunity. And the first 22 players do that, but the guys who are number 26 on the list, or in our case might be number 30 on the list, are incapable of doing it. And that's why we just keep losing these these games, I think. It's just um, the lack of skill that we currently have on the field because of our circumstances. It's, it's a real pity after last year. Um, but look, I think a, a lot of people need to recognise that um, that is the biggest single factor um, in the side. I'm not really interested in the coaching arguments. Um, we saw what happened to, to Ray Shaw this week. Uh, um, Ray, Sh- Ray, Shaw. Ray, Shaw, Ray Shaw this week um, uh, after, after um, you know, his appointment as a full-time coach and probably in his first game he gets thrashed like that. Um, the coach, coaches don't have that much influence as much as um, skilled players on the field. Um, just to, I, I did see um, a stat on Demon Land. I, I wasn't able to verify this, and I, I, I guess I could have, but I, I didn't feel like going through the list. But someone said, um, someone on Demon Land mentioned that uh, Collingwood only had six out of their grand final side, but we had nine at, from out of our preliminary side. Um, does that sound right to you? I, I don't know. I, um, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, didn't look at that. But yeah. more importantly, from the Collingwood side, when you've got players like Pendlebury and um, side bottom running around, um, we can talk about the side bottom situation a bit later, perhaps as well. Yeah. But these are really skilled, experienced players who've got those old heads that just know yeah. how to play. And, and really, look, let's face it, Collingwood are a top four side. Um, they they do have their injuries, but but they're a top four side because they've got good players in their side as well. Um, we haven't been able to get our equivalent players on the field. It's, it's not a surprising outcome. So. <clears throat> Um, the last week, people were saying that the Tigers. Um, uh, uh, this is just a point. But B man mentioned in the chat room that we only lost by eighteen points. Now, yes, uh, yeah. l- last week the the Tigers. People said the Tigers were in second gear. Um, 
this week, uh, you know, we we scored more in the last quarter than in the previous three quarters. Um, you know, and that was mm. once the game was. Uh, I think you said in your your report that it was once the game was well and truly lost. Did the scoreboard flatter us? Did did the pies put the cue in the rack, or? I, I don't think the pies put the cue in the rack. I think we started to be play a little bit more freely than what we had in the first uh, three quarters. Um, I think there was also a reticence um, to actually, as they use the term, take on the game. Um, players start, suddenly started kicking for goal instead of looking for a better option inside 50. Um, it was just a little bit more freedom available that I think our players took rather than than uh, Collingwood backed off. There was no reason for Collingwood to back off. They're, they're looking for a, a top four position and, a, and percentage is critical to them. Um, so uh, there were, the, you know, uh, Nathan Buckley would have been furious in a way with the, with the last couple of um, uh, scores on their behalf. So um, the other thing is, once again, when we get to the end of the game, um, the younger, younger leagues are still running. <laughs> Um, and we've got a reasonably good good contingent of, of those guys. But look, a loss is a loss. Um, there's there's little that we can do about that now. We all wish it was was a win. But as, as you said earlier, we we've only really lost one, maybe two games this season by a sizable amount. Uh, we're very very close. Um, we're not going to get any better this year. Think um, we may have a bit more luck this this. Uh, coming weekend because Sydney are just as easily, just as decimated as, as we've been. So uh, it'll, it'll make for an interesting matchup and an interesting way that the, the game uh, sort of pans out. <clears throat> um, uh, we'll talk about side bottom now. Why was nobody mm. on side bottom? Uh, he was allowed to roam around the ground all alone, uh, all game. Uh, he had 23 uncontested possessions out of his 28 and this uh, led mm. to eight score involvements. Uh, surely, the coach's box was aware of this. Um, why was nothing done to Kirby's influence? Uh, we had one of our wingers, whether it was Salem or Jones, dropping back to the halfback flank side of the square in order to create that extra man in defence. Um, there was no change to this tactic throughout the game and that allowed side bottom to go unmanned. Um, uh, this was plain to every man and his dog. Collingwood exploited it and yet no change was made in the box. I'm sure they were aware of it and there must have been a reason why. And I think there have been, I think there was a Demon Lander in one of the threads that sort of gave his reasons why. Um, how did it, from your perspective, how did you see it? Um, I was, a, I, I picked it up at the first bounce um, and I don't think we got to see the effects of it uh, until the second and third quarter, simply because there was only one goal scored in that first quarter. So that meant there was no... Um, a return to the centre and ball up. Um, what I was impressed was that the Collingwood uh, coaching staff picked it up and instead of rotating people off the bench onto the wings that most clubs generally do, um, they positioned side bottom there to be permanent for the whole game. Uh, watching us, uh, as you said, rotating, uh, off taking the, that winger out and putting him in half-back flank uh, to create the extra man in defence. Sadly, it sends it sends another message that you know, in a way, um, because Collingwood obviously didn't drop the extra man back in defence on their side of the equation. Um, we we went defensive rather than trying to attack and win the game. But what was really disappointing was that um, 
in the second and third quarter, it was very, very obvious that there wasn't, wasn't anyone within 25 metres of uh, side bottom at those centre bounces. And then the question became, well, when it's not a centre bounce, who's actually on him? Um, and it's not surprising that he was he was free of a Melbourne player virtually for the whole game. And you, you just can't leave that sort of talent unattended. And, you know, it was critical. You know, 23 uncontested possessions. It's just, you know, um, it's not surprising that um, he just kept driving the ball uh, towards their forwards and eventually they score, of course, as a result of that. But I was surprised that there was no no equal reaction until probably the last centre bounce in, in the last quarter. Um, but, um, yeah, they were, they were allowed to get away with it um, for too long as far as I was concerned. Um, it was D, D Spencer. I'll just read some of what he wrote. Uh, the side bottom factor. Side bottom played most of the game as a wing and parts of it as a half forward. Both times he was left alone at stoppages. Let's uh, look at why. On the wing, Melbourne made the coaching move to drop a wingman to the edge of the square to cover the cover half back, and then uh, run a half back in at centre half bounces. Why? Uh, because the Pies centre square midfield is faster than ours and really dangerous from the middle. Adam Trelaw, who broke the game open a couple of times in the middle quarters in transition play, was minded at stoppages by harm and stopped from those uh, centre square bursting runs. Uh, Grundy, who plays like an extra midfielder, was held up. by uh, held up. Brayshaw, Viney, Petraka, etc. were punished for lack of pace or defensive effort and we, and we won... And we won the centre clearances 8-5. to five. The Eagles don't have to tag Trelaw because their inside midfield set-up features Yo and, and Shuey, who are both super quick. Uh, for them, it makes sense to sit on side bottom. It doesn't mean it's the case for us. Until the last two weeks, side bottom has had a mediocre season for his talents, whilst Trelaw has been the most prolific midfielder in the comp and he's using the ball better. If Harms plays on side bottom or if we... Left the front of the square open, we've got Trelaw running straight to the Pies forward line without pressure. Uh, then he says, could uh, JKH, Dunkley or, or Corey Wagner be sent directly to side bottom? Maybe. Uh, would they have really done the job of stopping him? Almost certainly not. So I can see what they're saying. They, they sort of sacrificed and allowed side bottom to, to run what riot so that they could curb sort of the influence of, of some of the other players, in particular Trelaw. But... I don't know. I, I think we could have put somebody on him. I, I, I agree. And, and I think the other... Um, D, it was very good points made by D Spencer. Um, the other um, thing that I wish they had changed, while that half-back flanker and or you know, centre half-back was running into the centre, Collingwood had a player directly on his shoulder. So all that was happening was they were taking two more players into the centre square. Um, neither, neither of them ever got the ball, effectively. Um, but it gave gave the um, uh, Collingwood players with side bottom just sitting out at the side always an outlet of some sort. Um, once again, I, I would have thought that the coaching staff would have tried to change something up because it was pretty obvious to all the fans, certainly in our area, um, you know, the, 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 the calls of can somebody just get on him, anybody, someone, <laughs> um, because he was allowed to roam free, not just on that wing, but like I said, after the, after the stoppage, uh, if, if you consider that originally, say, a Jones or a Salem was on him, well, does he then give up the idea of going to, into that um, extra man in defence and run up the ground to try and get a uh, match-up with side bottom? I think that's a hard call. Um, so I think the, the Collingwood coaching staff in that particular case really did us over very well. 
Um, our lack of uh, defensive running has been a problem all year. Mm. Uh, mm. Can this be fixed in the off season? <laughs> what we need, what we need to do, is get our defence and, and our players actually running. And um, there's, um, you know, again, I'll bring it back to the injury uh, situation. Yeah. I think we have had not just um, injuries of players who can't get on the field. I think we've been playing a lot of players who are not up to um, uh, uh, scratch in terms of fitness and or and or injuries themselves. Um, I'm pretty convinced that players like Brayshaw and Tommy Mack, um, Melcham, even in the last couple of weeks since he's come back, um, they're just not what they what they are cap- they haven't been playing as well as they um, have been in the past. Uh, Tommy Mack, for example, up until the buy situation, couldn't jump off the ground um, uh, from my observations. With so again, it comes back to this injury situation. We've just been plugging holes trying to put anybody or anybody as long as they're breathing into the position and and it really it really does hurt hurt us and and that's why the defensive runnings um, what becomes obvious to us the guys have got nothing left in the tank if they ever had anything in the tank in the first case in for some players um, <clears throat> I, th- I think there's um, a secondary problem that occurs when the guys can't run is um, particularly in the midfield and we saw it this week where um, the Collingwood mids, I think the five Collingwood mids had a total of five um, uh, critical errors in total, uh, whereas uh, the Melbourne mids, uh, four of them, we had 18 critical errors in the same area of the ground. When you're giving the ball to the opposition in the middle of the ground, um, it kills you because you've just got to cover uh, the, uh, those players, stream, those opposition players streaming away with the ball in hand, it's um, it, it's very difficult um, um, to do that when you're playing in that that particular role. You mentioned the critical errors. Uh, that was our, our midfield. Uh, Oliver, mm. Oliver seven, Brayshaw six, Harms three. Uh, that's sixteen from just those three players. And uh, yeah. uh, I believe it was in your report you compared that to to the Collingwood mids and you. Uh, singled out Trelaw, Sidebottom, Phillips, Pendlebury and Adams. The five yeah. players had five errors between them. So, um, you know, 16 from three players to five from five, it, it's a big difference. And Yeah, it, it certainly is, and it, and it really hurts in the middle these days. Um, the way the game's played, if you're giving it up in the middle, um, and, you know, people, unfortunately, and spectators um, complain bitterly about the back line, but when the ball's coming out of the middle because we've had so many turnovers from that midfield group, um, be that around the ground or, or from centre bounces, it, it just kills the defenders. The ball keeps coming in, keeps coming in. Yeah. Uh, it's not surprising that eventually the, the damn wall breaks. The old-fashioned manning up uh, is dead and buried in the age of zones. Zoning, I think, has is, is killed us on the weekend. We, we've led opposition, as you said, just roll out of defence as well from kick-ins. Uh, they, they just short passed all the way down the line and uh, we weren't prepared to man up or, you know, that by the time someone had to leave their man to get to the contest, they'd left the man, they just left and the ball just went over their head to the next guy down the line and rinse, repeat, it just happened all day. Yeah, that's 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 exactly right. And again, it comes back to that fitness situation and and and, and when, when you're trying to run zone-type defences, and this is the case in... You know, in basketball and in and in soccer as well, 
there's nothing like having a consistent uh, group of players playing together who know exactly yeah. what the other ones are doing. Um, you look at the defences of, of Geelong, for example, or West Coast, um, they never seem to have the injuries down the back that, in the same way that we've had. And, and their zones are tight and hard um, because they know exactly what each other, what each player is going to do in a particular situation. Um, we, we haven't had that consistency and it's very hard. We've been exposed in that area. Um, our back line in particular, I think we've only had one game where, where we've had May and Lever and Hibbert and Salem um, and Jetta playing together um, out, of, out of the games that we've played so far. There's no consistency. It's not surprising it breaks open so apparently so easily. Um, I thought there was a little less of our, our chaos ball game this week. Uh, we slowed it down a mm. little bit, but obviously poor disposal, poor decision-making, letting us down. Uh, I could see that sometimes there were guys who would run hard to create space and they were then often ignored. Uh, players are either too scared to make the wrong decision or they're confused about which option to take. Uh, which might be because of the change in the game plan or the tempo. Um, they might have just lost trust or confidence in teammates or they just simply lack, you know, the ability to execute, like, basic skills. Mm. It, was, it was interesting, and I'd be interested to hear your comments on it, the, the Paul Ruse observation, I think, about the, the moth to the flame yeah. um, story uh, that, that was uh, put up during the week. Yeah, well, I'll I'll play I'll play the audio from that. Um, if you haven't seen the the footage, uh, it just relates to footage from a uh, there was a kick out of defence that sort of went to uh, went to a contest. We had about seventy players around that contest, but no one on the outside basically. And uh, uh, we had Brayshaw not manning up on his opponent Pendlebury. Uh, expecting the ball because we had the numbers around the ball. He was expecting us to get it, flick it out to him, he, then he's off. But unfortunately, we, lo we lost that contest and the ball got flicked out. Uh, so I'll play the audio. Uh, I ended up with a Pendlebury goal, but I'll play the audio and uh, have a listen to uh, what uh, Jared Healy, uh, Gary Lyon and Paul Ruse had to say. Be swift at Melbourne, and they're probably going to have to be deep. But the one thing that absolutely has to change is this: be to the honeypot scenario. We've been showing this vision for the last two years, even before they really got in the role. And if you have a look at this, Brayshaw is on a bloke called Pendlebury. Now the ball is in dispute. You can't have a leg rope that long against a guy that that is that great. Have a look at the outside. So many Melbourne blokes on the inside, and some not even going to the contest. Well, Pendlebury. He gave you a lesson there, young Brayshaw, and it's something that you need to address. It's not a great year, he needs to respond. That's indicative. They have just stopped thinking about, and they start thinking about, like, next year, or they're worrying about their own, how they're going to get belted. That's not playing the game on its merit mm. right there. That's giving up on the game. Like, that's just, oh, I'll just go and get the footy, because that's, that's what's going to help me. If I get possession, get that'll help me. Instead of going, is that the right thing? No, we've spoken about this a lot. No, I'll back off. I mean, that's... That's the sort of thing that, that's one of a myriad. Yeah, I, I was there live on the weekend. I couldn't believe how lazy Melbourne's team was. I mean, you look at the lack of speed as soon as they, that ball got outside. I mean, I was really, really surprised that the number, the pointing, the standing in the zone, the lack of movement, the lack of effort, the lack of speed on transition was... was what's the starting point? What's the message from Simon Goodwin on the exit plan and what's the starting point for the way they're going to play 
round one or uh, first training session in uh, later this year? Well, I think it's an opportunity. That's the way they've got to look at it. They've got to say, guys, we're back on 1st of November or 5th of November, whatever it is. You'd love to see some of your senior players front up for those early mm. sessions. And that's, that's the statement that I'd be looking for if I was Simon. Um, yeah, I totally agree with him when you look at the vision. Um, that was just one contest, but it's happening all the time. And it wasn't just this week. It's been happening sort of all year. And uh, it's a bit of a worry. And Indeed, it is. And I think that was beautifully highlighted in that, uh, um, if, you, if you want to look at it, uh, that piece of video. Um, once again, the, the, there were a good number of Melbourne players, like Ruse was pointing out, just standing around um, looking at in this case, in that particular case, side bottom, getting the ball and getting it out to the Collingwood players on the outside. Um, it's all very well having people going in into these contests, but you've got to provide some sort of personally defensive pressure on the outside and then, you know, be responsible for your um, immediate opponent, you know, that Brayshaw was expecting it to come our way because we had so many people there, but you can't let someone like Pendlebury off 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 the loop off the rope um, because he will and can and did um, really burn you really badly. So and it wasn't just Pendlebury; there were two other players around him as well that could have yeah. easily taken yeah. the ball, and there was no one within Kooey of them. And yeah. it wasn't just in those that that was a kick out of defence from us, and the kick wasn't great as well, um, which which is also uh, something that's damning about our game at the moment. Uh, but the Pies, I think, just set up better at stoppages. They always had one man out the back or the side to act as a receiver to get the quick ball out, and they were and then they were away, and uh, we were just chasing tail. If if at all they were chasing tail, because there are times when some of our players don't chase. And we really need, I think what we really need is a class outside runner or two. <laughs> I'm not yeah, the first and, person and, on Demonland to say that. Yeah, and, and um, once again in that video, you can see the positioning beautifully of the Collingwood players out the back of the contest. So the, um, I think it was uh, Axis of Bob, one of the Demonland posters, called certain players extractors. Um, I think we've got a good... Uh, a number of those, Viney and, and Oliver in particular, mm. are very good at getting the ball out. <clears throat> Collingwood know that they've got people like Sidebottom and Pendlebury's not so much an extractor, Trelaw is, yeah. um, who can get the ball out and be confident about getting it out. And they know that when they do get the ball, there's someone always out the back to be able to receive. I don't know who our player is in that role you know, when, you, when you really look at it. Brayshaw, maybe. Um, I don't, don't think he's a, a sprinter by any stretch of the imagination, but um, the surety that the Collingwood players have of being able to move the ball safely to the outside and then really spread and, and cause the damage, I think, was again, uh, I think the Collingwood coaching team had done a very good um, analysis of the way that we play and, and set up appropriately to, to beat us at our own game. Uh, Collingwood uh, kicked uh, seven unanswered goals on either side of uh, half time, you know, hi highlighting the <laughs> that fact that we can't play four quarters of footy. Um, I believe five goals came from turnovers, um, you know, from sloppy disposal again. Uh, scoring from turnovers has reared its ugly head again. Uh, was it 49 points from turnovers? I think Collingwood yeah, scored correct, yeah. uh, 70 in total. So that's uh, well over half, three quarters of their score from from our turnovers. That just has to 
be ripped out of our game because yeah. it cost us against St Kilda. It's cost us again this week. Yeah, it's it's a, a recurring theme. But you know, I, I have to come back to the the quality of the players, the turnovers that are coming from uh, mm. uh, the second stringer type players, and it it really kills you these in in the way the game's played these days. You miss that kick, you miss the target, you miss the handball, you handball or kick to someone's feet instead of onto their chest. The turnover happens, and almost invariably it goes straight down the other end for a goal because teams have set up their structures. Um, in the anticipation that you're actually going to hit that player, um, and we can't at the moment. We haven't got the quality on the on the field to be able to do that consistently consistently enough. Um, and e- even though that's still happening, we're we're only losing these games by small margins relatively. So there's a positive in it once we can replace uh, uh, those second string players with more co- competent ones, either coming back from injury or you know, we're near at the end of the season very shortly through the drafting and or trading period. Um, uh, you know, also, we've got to be able to impact the scoreboard from set shots. Uh, mm. we, we continued the narrative of 2019 with six set shots from inside 50, zero goals. You know, our opponents are sinking goals from the boundary that did last week. They've done it this week again. Uh, you know, also, I, I think, and I've been saying this to, to Great Viney all year, I have a real problem. I, I don't think we have many players that from that can that can snap a goal uh, from 30 metres out. There's no penetration in our snapping. We snap and it falls short and someone marks it on the, on the line and you see, um, you know, Pendlebury being able to snap a ball from 30 or 40 metres that goes through goal height. I don't know. I, I, I just have a problem with that. I notice it all the time. Um all our snaps always <laughs> appear to fall short. But that yeah, the set shot kicking for goal um, has been terrible this year. Yeah, and and the set shot kicking this week alone would have won us the game or not. You know, that um, I counted six um, set shots inside 50, which failed to score. Um, Gorn, Gorn missed, Melcham missed, Petraka missed, and Fritchie missed a few as well. Um, that was enough to win us the game if we if we'd nailed those. And they weren't difficult ones. They weren't ones from the boundary like Collingwood um, were able to consistently do this week. Um, but, uh, yeah, it has been, an, again, another story of, of uh, uh, throughout the whole season. Um, I don't know what to do about uh, set shot kicking. Um, uh, when you look at the, the capabilities of people in the past, like the Matthew Lloyds and the Tony Lockett's, um, <clears throat> they had very good technique consistent technique every single time they shot the goal. I'm not sure that enough practice is put in these days um, at, at that uh, skill. Um, I'm, I'm always constantly amazed at uh, AFL level how how players can miss um, shots at goal. And let's face it, the, the goal posts are a long way apart um, <laughs> for what they're trying to do. Uh, if you put an NBL player or an, uh, an NBA player on the three-point line, they they'll hit the hit the target nine times out of ten. I don't I don't think AFL players, as a general rule, are capable of getting the same sort of percentages from directly in front, even of you know 35 metres out. And and we're certainly a good example of that at the moment. I'm sure I read somewhere that the players don't uh, don't practice goal kicking so much at training to the extent that they used to, as in just having set shot after set shot after set shot due to uh, overworking 
you know certain muscles in yeah. the leg. So maybe maybe that's that's a problem. Uh, yeah. Maybe they need what to get be, back to the basics. Be best, better, best, uh, a few more hamstring injuries or kicking a few more goals is <laughs> yeah. for some skills. Well, um, we certainly, uh, if we're going to talk about hamstring injuries, uh, maybe we talk about Stephen May. Uh, you know, when yeah. when Stephen May's fit, uh, he's demonstrated to me why we went so aggressively to get him. However, um, are you worried about the fact that he's done his hamstring? three or four times this season, and is that a sign of things to come? Um, no use having a beast like him sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that's not the case. I th- I'm hoping that it was associated with his um, uh, physical condition when he turned up yep. at the club, apparently. Um, hamstring injuries uh, tend to be recurring, particularly in-season. Um, the, the, good, the good thing about the... Um, injury list that we've had is that over the whole season, I think there's only been three players who've actually had soft tissue type injuries in hamstrings and groins. Um, so we must be doing something right in that area. Um, so I'm hoping that um, maze is a, an individual problem rather than um, uh, something that we're going to face across the whole side. When you look at the hamstring injuries that are caught, that the, the list of hamstrings at Collingwood, for example, they're the people I think should be looking at who's their conditioning uh, coaches uh, more so than, than people are claiming about um, uh, our, our Dave Misson and go, although Dave's now moving on. Well, we, you know, we, he is moving on. <laughs> hopefully the guy who's replacing him, which uh, he has good credentials, hopefully we don't see an increase in uh, some soft tissue injuries um, with the change of uh, regime. Um, uh, Christian Petraka, I think he's had a solid year. He continues to impress um, week in, week out. Uh, obviously, we'd like uh, him to work on his set shot kicking and would love to you know, see him uh, be a bit more consistent over four quarters. Um, but I think uh, he's just impressing week in, week out um, this year. Been, uh, yeah, yeah, I think we're starting to see at the end of this season... Um, uh, some really good glimpses of what Petraka can be. Uh, as a young player, I think he's starting to get far more confidence in his own abilities and strength and that he can. He now is starting to break those tackles that previously he was unable to. Uh, and I'm hoping that he starts to take the game on a little bit more, have a little bit more confidence and a little bit more greed about going for goal. He's um, previously been... Um, almost reticent to um, go for it himself first up rather than, than trying to pass it off to someone else. Um, I think one of the posters some time ago mentioned this is probably from this basketball background where you're constantly trying to find a better player sitting under the ring to get the ball to rather than shooting from outside. Um, he, he needs to um, start doing the shooting himself when he's inside range. Um, and I think we're starting to see a little, a little bit of, of what we've all, all hoped for with Petraka, and I hope that's the case. Um, we, we love a first kick, first goal player. Yes. I mentioned <laughs> it to Bailey Fritch. Uh, what are your thoughts on a 589th kick, first <laughs> goal player? Uh, Omac joins that illustrious club. Uh, your thoughts on Omac's maiden game as a forward with also some stints in the ruck? Um, I think the thought the thoughts were uh, um, 
where it is indicative of where we we are at at the moment in terms of who we've got to put into particular roles. Um, you know, OMAC was playing forward because honestly we have no one else. Yeah. Um, and and um, I was very pleased for him because he really did acquit himself quite well in the role, and it was a great fillip I hope for him uh, to be able to get that goal just from his personal situation because certainly in the first half of the season, and I know there are heaps and heaps of critics mm. on Demonland about OMAC down the back line, but those same people seem to forget that in the first half of the season, we had OMAC and and Frost as our two main defenders, and that was it. You know, We had yeah. play, players um, all around, not there, not available or injured. Um, so they were getting, he, he and Frost were getting a beating week after week um, and, you know, obviously shot his confidence and uh, went back to the VFL. So I'm very glad that he's, he's come back and has some positives in for him out of this season. I don't think he's quite the answer uh, in terms of a forward, but um, uh, like I said, I hope, I hope that it does something for him and, that, and, and he can be that sort of player who may well be able to either fill, up, fill, fill a, a spot down the forward line or fill a spot down the back line as needed. You certainly need those, um, certainly those sort of players during the course of the season. Um, uh, I think we just made uh, Binman's, uh, who's in the chat room, his day by mentioning Omax. So the shout out to you, Binman. I know, I know, uh, he's a favourite of yours. Um, uh, George, would you care to weigh in on the debate uh, of Jones playing on uh, next next year? Um, he's had one tackle in the last two games, mm. um, four in the last five games. I, I guess you have to take emotions out of it. Of course, the heart wants. Uh, him given, you know, given all all that uh, he's given to the club, uh, but what does the brain say? Um, the brain as well says, um, I think that Jones will be there next year. Um, look, there's no there's no doubt that he's at the back end of his career, um, and we can see that in other players throughout the the league. Um, when you look at you know Lewis on our side, you look at Ruffhead Ruffy, at Hawthorne, yeah. It's very obvious when they're in that rundown phase um they're not what they used to be but at the end of the day i can name six players at least on our list at the moment who i wouldn't have on the list next year or more importantly you wouldn't notice if they're not on the list mm. list next year um jones has played every single game this season yeah um we don't need to be dropping a player who's that consistent at the moment. Next year, he might be only capable of playing six games, 12 games or something like that. But there's also the cultural aspect of, of uh, keeping one of your current captains on the list. We saw how badly it was handled uh, with Junior McDonald. Yep. Um, I don't think we need to go down that path again. And like I said, we've, we've got six to seven players who would easily be dropped out of the list at the moment before Nathan Jones would be. But I think the other question might be also around uh, Jordan Lewis. Um, Jordan's obviously on the way out. When that out happens, I'm not quite sure anymore. Earlier on in the season, I would have said to drop him, certainly at the end of this season. But again, there's so many other players who are just not up to the standard that either Jones or Lewis are currently at in delivering, however badly, um, that moving six or seven players out, um, once you, you've got to be careful once you start to move more than that out. 
about what you're replacing them with. I, I don't want to see us, um, say, dropping those two players, dropping nine or ten off the list, and then trying to replace them with a 17 or 18-year-old who's untried. At least we know what we're going to get with Lewis, uh, uh, Lewis and Jones, for example. But I definitely keep Jones on. I hope he, I hope he does sign. I hope the club makes him an offer, which is acceptable to keep him there. Yeah, I agree. Um, if you'd like to join the conversation uh, tonight, zero three nine zero one six three triple six. That's zero three nine zero one six three triple six. Or give us a call on Skype, Demonland thirty one. Um, captaincy next year. Uh, uh, go with the Jones Viney combo. Viney solo. Elevate uh, Max to join Viney. Do you go something completely different and just go Max solo? I'd like to hear your your view on this rather than me giving the views all the time. Well, <laughs> so over to you. Over to me. Um, look, I I think if Jones is going to be, if 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 the club is sure that Jones isn't going to play the majority of the year, if he's going to going to perhaps be in that, if he, definitely if they give him one only one year, then maybe he steps aside the captaincy and it might be his decision to do it. I, um, I wouldn't want to push him out of that. Uh, whether Viney goes solo, I, I've, I've always liked just a solo captain. I've, I have, I'm not sure I'm a fan of the, the dual captaincy. I don't know, maybe that's just the traditionalist in me. Um, I don't think they're going to strip Viney and Jones of it. Uh, and uh, as much as I'd love to see Max personally as solo captain, I think, uh, if anything, Viney might be solo captain next year. Um, but if they said it's going to be Jones and Viney, I'm, I, I won't complain. Um, you know, Jones has been a, a good a good stalwart of the club and um, but I certainly wouldn't rip the captaincy out of his hands, no. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting and, and complex situation, isn't it? It's... I always like to compare what other clubs have done or tried to do in this situation. Um, Hawthorne's probably the best example at the moment with Roughhead. Um, they they took the captaincy off him. And I think one of the important factors about a, a captain is they need to be reliable and need to be there every every game. Um, and that, I think, was one of the factors why, um, uh, why Roughhead did stand down or they tapped him on the shoulder or whatever. I don't think Ben Stratton's even remotely as good a captain as what Roughhead has been over the years. But it, it's a good way to transition the, these retiring-type players out. Um, but just as equally, Hawthorne know how important it is to ret- retain the culture of the club and not push those sort of icons of the club that clubs out. Um, so uh, well, we, th- we can only wait and see. I think uh, Hawthorne knew that, that Ruffy wasn't going to be playing um, the whole year. And mm. I don't think you can possibly have a captain that's uh, that's playing in the twos, and and that's why I sort of made that comment that if Jones isn't going to be um, isn't going to be a twenty two twenty three game player, and if he's going to be in the twos, it's probably not a good look. Your captain being in the twos, so that's why I thought no, if they if they exactly. sort of know that going in, but I don't know. It's a yeah, tough one. It's a, it's a very difficult situation. Yeah. And, um, when you look at even Oliver, Ollie Wines over at Port Adelaide playing in the uh, in the Sandfall instead, you know, what sort of message is that sending and sending to the team for this year and next year? Now, you need your captain off the ground at the end of the day, but 
we'll wait and see what comes out of the... Um, I think the discussions about uh, Jones continuing in the first place um, for next year. Um, and, and I think we've got uh, an off-field crew these days who hopefully won't repeat the uh, failings of previous management, um, particularly in that junior McDonald's situation. Um, the standard of umpiring uh, <laughs> has been so poor this year. Um, I think both supporters, supporters of both teams on the weekend would agree that the umpiring in the match was probably equally deplorable. Mm. I just don't know what the rule is for incorrect disposal. Uh, to highlight this, there was a Collingwood player uh, just outside our goal square in our forward line who, who twice tried to change direction and was swung around in tackles trying to break through and the ball ended up just spilling out. Uh, to me, that's clearly dropping the ball, um, you know, but it was play on, no free kick. Um, uh, I see this weekend week out in our games. I see this in games I watch on TV. Um, then you, ju- you have a situation where a player gets tackled with no prior opportunity, is buried on the ground, and exp- inexplicably a freeze paid. There's just no uh, consistency, and I've had a gutful. Yeah, it's, uh, and I think the... the um... Uh, the situation is reflected virtually across every fan site and every fan in the AFL is not just exclusive yeah. to Melbourne. Uh, the frustrating frustration with the, the lack of capability and skills, I think it's also um, worthwhile having a look at um, the way the ump- umpires, umpiring is handled in the uh, VFL, for example. Um, there's you'll, You may notice that there's a lot, lot more of actually calling... Uh, uh, making the calls in in the VFL as opposed to what we hear and see so often in the AFL of play on, play on, play on, or not making any call whatsoever. <clears throat> the um, it seems that the umpires have been almost been instructed it's better not to make a call than make a wrong call, um, but not making a call in some cases is <laughs> the wrong call. Yeah. Um, I can tell us tell a, a short story. I know there was a a young kid that uh, we used to work with who was an umpire up in, I think, around the Gisborne area or something like that, and who applied for the AFL umpiring um, uh, roles. And it didn't matter how or how skilled or capable he was at actually umpiring the game. All that they were interested in was how fast he ran a 3K time trial. <laughs> uh, and I think that's a sad indictment of the priorities of the um uh, umpiring department and the way it's run at the moment. Um, but again, the, uh, that's a situation that um, is across the board. Um, and I think also that unfortunately the AFL is unwilling to address it um, as, as along with a few other things, but they, they certainly need to address this in a big way. Professional, professionalism is, uh, would be a first step, um, but I think they, they really need to um, examine as the AFL about how they interpret various rules because the, the spectators know when dropping the ball or holding the ball uh, should be applied. It just isn't at the moment. And um, I think it, that sort of scenario also um, causes a lot of the congestion around the ball. Um, again, going back to the VFL, you, you may notice that the umpires will call um, uh, the um uh, stacks on the mill, as it used to be called, and throw the ball up quickly and get the game going again. Whereas um, at the AFL level, they're, they're looking around, they go left, they go right, call for who's the two ruckmen. Meanwhile, there's 
you know, 36 players crowding around the ball and coming in. Um, I think part of the problem of, of, that they're facing with congestion is also tied up to the way the umpires are umpiring the game. Um, the two All-Australian rucks uh, seem to nullify yeah. each other. Um, Grundy may have had more hit-outs and disposals, but uh, Maxi had the better hit-out to advantage and his disposal mm. efficiency was higher than Grundy's. Um, I th- I was actually surprised that uh, in a couple of the team of the weeks, I think Campbell Brown had one and I think the AFL does one. They both had Grundy as the ruckman for the team of the week and I, I didn't think Grundy dominated the ruck at all or the game and I thought, well... How bad must have all the ruckmen in all the other games during the week must have been for Grundy to to be the number one ruck for the for the week? Because I, I think they just nullified each other. Um, where do you stand on uh, whether who's going to get? Uh, where, where do you think Max will get in the All Australian squad and then get into the team? Um, and who's going to be the number one ruck? I think it'll be the same situation as last year, except reversed. Um... Grundy and 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 uh, Gorn are at absolutely streets ahead of any of the other ruckmen in the competition. Um, Grundy's probably was slightly ahead in this particular game, yeah. but he's he's been playing on the winning side yeah. uh, during the year. Um, so I think Max will get put on the interchange bench, and Grundy will get the first one. Um, no, no big deal at the end of the day. Uh, we've got uh, one of those two players playing for us, and that's the important thing. They're, they're both great players, yeah, um, and we should applaud it. Um, yes, I think in this particular game, Grundy was slightly ahead, but you know, thank goodness we've got Max and not uh, not uh, what a few other sides on the uh, on the weekend had. And given that we're playing Sydney uh, this coming week, I, I had a look at the stats for who was going to play ruck at Sydney. Uh, they had a young young kid called McLean, I think it was McLean. Um, I think it might have been his first game as well. And in the whole game, he had his grand total of hitouts was nine. Wow! <laughs> um, uh, and they used Alira Alira as the second second ruck, and Ben Reed as uh, sort of the third stringer. Yeah. Um, as a second string ruck, Alira had ten hitouts, so <laughs> he had more hitouts than, than their first ruck. So. Um, I'm hoping that this particular week, uh, given the uh, because Sydney haven't got Sinclair playing, um, that uh, I think Max might be able to give whoever turns up as ruck for Sydney a complete and utter bath, and hopefully um, provide our mids with um, plenty of opportunity. Um, this might be an unpopular, well, it's not an opinion. I just think they're going to go this way. Uh, I think Max will get into the squad, but I don't think he's going to even make the bench. I think they're they're going to go with a solo ruck this year and and stack the team with mids. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I believe he deserves another All Australian gig and not just be in the squad. Uh, mm. But I don't know. That's, I, I just have that feeling that's the way they're going to go. Probably because of the year that Melbourne has had. Um, I yeah, hope Max that, does get top recognized. Top it up very nicely, wouldn't it? Well, it definitely <laughs> would. Um, uh, speaking of disappointing, another disappointing crowd for a home game where we were once again outnumbered. No surprise. Uh, was it with the last two weeks? There's been shocking weather, and that's ob- and obviously our the, the shocking displays we've been dishing up each week have kept our supporters away. Um, you know the club must be pulling their hair out. Uh, surely uh, we're going to make another loss this year, considering we didn't have Anzac Day or Queen's Birthday. 
Um, and we would have been banking on these last three home games to, to sort of uh, assist on the bottom line. Um, I can't imagine we're going to get a big crowd on Friday night either. No. Um, <clears throat> yeah, at, at the start of the season, I'm sure they would have banked on, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars um crowd for those games quite easily. Um, but, you know, the weather conspired against us uh, as well in these against Richmond and against Collingwood, just as everyone else has, cons- every, everything else has conspired against us this season. Um, so no, no big change there, but yeah, it is disappointing. But it, I, I, it doesn't seem to be just confined to um, to Melbourne at the moment. I know the weather in the last couple of weeks has been appalling. Uh, certainly um, people would have to find some real inspiration to turn up between the weather and the lack of trains and trams mm. um, as well. But, um, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I was at Hawthorne and North Melbourne played with 15,000 or something ridiculous that Eddie had inside the roof. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, so both of those teams had a lot to be playing for. So the, the, the numbers are, are across the board are down. Um, and I think the AFL has got to look at um, the way that the uh, season structured and, and, and the, the impetus for, play, for people to come to the ground. I don't think... Um, the pre-game, mid-game, post-game entertainment or whatever it might be is working uh, to attract the extra people uh, to, to the game. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's very sad from the, from the club's perspective because while we lost the home game on the Queen's birthday, we surely would have made it up um, if, if Melbourne was challenging uh, and the weather was fine against Collingwood at this point in the year. Um, I thought the whole 666 was meant to produce higher scoring games and bring mm. people to watch it and what come to the games and watch on TV. And I think it's backfired on them. Do you think, do you think they'll, they'll admit their defeat and go back or? or... No, no. I, I don't think they'll admit defeat by <laughs> any stretch. <laughs> they'll just stick with the bad things that they're doing at the moment. Um, 666 is, uh, has, has, without a doubt, done nothing uh, in terms no. of improving the, the game in certain terms of congestion. Um, the worst part is that it, um, it it adds another 30 seconds while the umpire mm. has to go around and count whether there's um, six players of either side in each of the zones and get the reports back from the various boundary umpires or whoever's down the other end of the ground. That, yeah. Yeah, that's the situation. Um, you know, we've got enough delays in the game at the moment. How about you just bounce the ball and get on with it? You know? So um, it's adding nothing to what people want to see. Um, maybe that's why people aren't turning up. Uh, look, I was just thinking about the other fact that the runners can't come on on the ground as much as well. Um, that can be having an impact on some teams and how they perform, particularly if you don't have... Um, those older heads around that are more experienced that can sort of do the on-field sort of coaching, that can have an effect where you're not getting the messages out to players to be able to change things when things aren't uh, things aren't going to plan and, you know, could have hurt a club like us. I don't know how you sort of measure that or factor that in at all, but uh, I think it's got to have had, a, had an impact. But I guess both teams are uh, that play are equally... Uh, handicapped by that but yeah it's, it's um it becomes critical when you witness a situation where um a good player for any side is sitting on the bench and they can't get them back on the ground yeah because the play's on the other side and they can't get a runner out to drag some player off um you know it's 
just a ridiculous situation. And I believe that uh, for next year they're um, they're, they're changing uh, the excess of the uh, runners um, back to probably something we've, that we've seen before. I don't know exactly what what the uh, allowance will be, but um, it certainly hasn't been a move in the right direction. I don't think for the game or for the coaches, and ultimately for the particularly the younger players uh, during this season. Now, I did, when we're talking about Maxi uh, and Grundy before, I, I forgot to mention this, but uh, um, Maxi was told to to tag Grundy. What, what do you think of that that move? Um, I thought that was a pretty good story, really. Uh, there's only two ruckmen on the ground, really, and um, for the two ruckmen to play on each other, I would have thought <laughs> would have been a, a fait accompli. You know, was Grundy actually tagging Max because they seem to be going up for the ruck contest? <laughs> together all the time together and running around the ground together. Um, well, well, watching them, I, I didn't even have in my head that that might be happening, but I, I believe Maxie did say that he was told to to effectively tag Grundy, but yeah, I don't know. I think that might have been Max having a, a lend of uh, a journalist more to the I, point. I hope so. that's what's the case because, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, was, that was a funny yeah, one. What else would he have done? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he should have gone to gone to side to side. Yeah, well, else was so. Yeah, <laughs> he might have. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Ruckman, we, we've got a a situation uh, this week of, of Braden Proust in the in the Casey game had seventy five hitouts and nineteen disposals. <laughs> Are we going to leave overlook that performance again? Um, you know, he's obviously um, it's a it's a different level of competition, but. Of all the players available at Casey, he he was a standout this week. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. That I I, I would assume if Cox had been playing against Collingwood, um, I would have thought maybe they would have played him. But I, I don't know. The the the, the coaches this year have, have baffled me sometimes, and I don't know. I I was bullish on giving Bruce a go, but uh, having watched, I, I don't know if he's ready for the big leagues yet, but. Mm having seen him play a couple of games, but then he, you know, keeps killing it in the, in the two. So I don't know. It's a, yeah. that's a tough or, one. And if you're, be, if you're saying true, that there's a, uh, I was just saying, if you, if you're saying that the city ruck stocks aren't so uh, beefed up, uh, I don't know if he'll get a game. Yeah. And one. to be truly cynical, you, uh, Casey's situation is that they're in the, uh, finals in the eight at the moment by two points but Hawthorne have a, a game over them so Casey need to win their last game against Frankston I think it is this week and Hawthorne have to drop one of their two remaining games um, and I think having Bruce in the side might be the difference between <laughs> Casey making a final or not. Yeah, uh, well, you know what, I, I don't think he'll play this week uh, in the ones uh, if as you said, I don't think um, Sydney's rucks are going to uh, bother just having Max. So, yeah, let's yeah. play for Casey. Yeah, and I think Marty, Marty Hall um, would be the logical inclusion for the coming week as well. He had 25 disposals and apparently was playing very well, well for Casey this week. And we've lost May, of course, in the back line. So it'll be uh, seem, seem to be a, a fait accompli again that, that Hall should come back this week. Well, uh, last week, uh, after he had uh, last week's podcast, we were sure that Hall would be getting a game um, this week, as in the uh, Collingwood game. 
after 34 possessions and uh, was shocked on Thursday night when he wasn't picked. But you would think with May out this week, he's, he's a shoe-in to come in. Yeah, and we, and we need Oscar up forward, of course. Uh, yes. he can't drop <laughs> That's true. Um, uh, the, there was a thread this week about the lever, lever trade. Uh, I think it's way too early to, to sort of say whether we've lost out on that. Um, I, yeah, just, I, I, I don't get hooked, uh, get too uptight about trades and whether we've won or lost. Nobody, it's, it's like buying a house. Nobody, there's never a sale or a buy unless both parties agree. Um, so <laughs> at, at, at the particular point um, in a trade, it's the same situation. Unless somebody's prepared to take it and somebody's prepared to give it, it doesn't happen. Um, you only you only find out later on whether it's been good or bad, but it's what you did at the time. Um, so I'm I'm glad that we've got a part player of his capability and potential um, playing for us. Um, we we haven't seen it yet. Um, he's he's had a, an appalling run with injury, um, so we're just got to wait for him to to come good. Hopefully from that perspective, but also. Um, the times that he has played, um, you know, Stephen May hasn't been there or Jeddah hasn't been there or Hibbert hasn't been there. Um, it, it's it's particularly hard to judge on whether he's going to be an influence um, uh, into the future when the whole back line um, is, you know, a, a, a patched together um, form of defence at the moment. We've just got to wait and see. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, we learned this week that... Uh... Chief strategist of the team, uh, Craig Jennings. He will be leaving at the end of the year. Uh, mm. He'll join um, uh, McCartney uh, mm. leaving as well. Uh, do you think there'll be more more culling of assistance before the end of the year? I, I think there's no doubt uh, about that, um, but it's not just at Melbourne. Um, apparently the um, agreement with the, uh, uh, the assistant coaches association whatever that might be or the coaches association is that all the assistants have to be told about their future by the 1st of august um, we've announced a couple there's a couple of other clubs have already started to announce people who won't be around next year the big question is going to be who replaces them um, and that's that'll be of more interest to the demolanders in the coming weeks than than any, anyone else because i'm sure most people on demoland haven't got the faintest about who Craig Jennings is and what he does and <laughs> yeah. whether he's actually any good at his job or not, because um, I certainly don't, but um, you've just got to take the word of others. But uh, we, we'll wait and see. But I think there's, in terms of the assistance, um, uh, now's the time. You do, given our situation this year and the results this year, um, one of the few things you can change is either a coach or assistant coach. Is you can't readily change players. Um, I certainly can't do that as easily. So uh, I've got no doubt there'll be further changes occurring in the uh, assistant coaching area for us, uh, for the coming year. Uh, the sad news during the week was that um, six-time premiership player uh, Frank Bluey Adams uh, passed away. Mm. Um, that's very sad news uh, indeed. Um, you know, a six-time premiership player. Um, yeah. They don't grow on trees. Yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable um, when you look at his history, um, the, pe the people on this podcast and a lot of people on, on Demonland 
won't have ever seen even seen a Melbourne Premiership. Um, and here's a guy who's played in six of them and played in six premierships over a 166-game career. It's, it is it is just incredible. You know, Michael Tuck played in seven, but he had to play 429 yeah. games to do that. You know, Bluey's, Bluey played in you know 11 consecutive final series. You know, and, and here we are sitting sitting on demon land, hoping and praying that one day we might get to see a premiership, <laughs> let alone getting into the finals. And here's a bloke who's played in six of them. It's just just incredible that incredible to think um, that that's the situation. Um, and then there, uh, if you look at the uh, Melbourne site today, there's a, a rundown on Bluey's um, uh, the, the 1955 grand final when he rushed off the bench and took out uh, himself and Des Healy. Um, <laughs> it's, it's credited as being the shortest um, game of grand final for an individual <laughs> player ever, um, <laughs> probably less than 30 seconds. Uh, but at the end of the day, he got a he got a premiership medal or whatever they handed out in those days for for doing it. So, but again, it's very sad that um, you know we're losing people like Bluey and we've lost um, the players from that uh, remarkable and glory years of the Melbourne Football Club, and that um, we haven't. Uh, I think I heard Bluey saying at some stage on some interview um, he couldn't believe that having played in the 1964 Grand Final that he wouldn't see another Melbourne Premiership in his lifetime. Um, and it's, it's quite an in, incredible thought um, in, from that respect, but it's very sad to lose these people again. It is indeed. Um, well, just looking at um, our injury list, uh, <laughs> we've had uh, more players be uh, put out for the season, but given that there's only two games to go, uh, anyone with any type of uh, small injury is going to be out for the season. But, uh, uh, Hannon uh, is now out uh, for the rest of the year, and so is uh, Tim Smith, the most the unluckiest uh, footballer going around. Mm. <laughs> um, and then uh, there's there was the news during the week that Corey Maynard will be uh, hanging up the uh, the boots at the end of the year just because you know just can't get his body right. Um, yeah. Also, one of the unluckiest uh, players going around, just couldn't, yeah. couldn't get couldn't get uh, a run at games uh, consecutive. Yeah, Corey provided a lot of hope and promise, but yeah, it was remarkable how he could he just couldn't get on the ground. Um, and it'll be interesting, uh, given you know Corey only managed the one game, uh, one one game I think it was in Canberra about two years ago. Um, but uh, what do we do with uh, AVB uh, at the end of the season? You know his. Was it managed seven games in in uh, three years or something ridiculous like that? Uh, I'd love to have him out on the ground, and I would have loved to have seen Corey Maynard out on the ground. You know, but uh, um, what what does the club and the list management people do at the end of the year with those sort of players? But look at we 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 are doing exactly what everyone's been calling for for the last couple of months on Demon Land at least. When we get to this stage of the year, there is no point trying to get these players off. Just send them off for their surgery, get them right so that on the 1st of November or whenever they come back for the pre-season training, they're ready to to get out there and run. It's no use trying to to um, you know put numbers on the park just with, with players who are already injured. Just call it quits for this year. Nothing is going to change, really. We all live in hope that we might win the game or 
maybe even two games in the last two games. But really, um, when we get to round one next year, we'd be wishing and hoping that um, we hadn't um, tried to play you know, a Stephen May in the last two games or something like that when he injured his hamstring even worse than what it might be at today. So. Yeah, um, I'd be sending anyone who needs a surgery um, as soon as possible. Uh, obviously, if they're, they're fit enough to play now, um, yeah, but not like bringing a Stephen May back in who actually has a hamstring. But as soon as the season's over, I'd get everyone <laughs> that needs surgery in because we don't need uh, we don't need uh, a situation like last year uh, happening again. Um, we want uh, come November first or whenever it is, uh, players to be. And I, I, I like what uh, I like what uh, Paul Roos said, and he'd like to see uh, some senior players there on the first day. And I, I think I'd like that too. Yeah, in, indeed. I mean that that's seen as sending a message to all the younger players and sending a uh, setting that good example. And boy, do we need it at the moment, um, uh, particularly from those uh, senior players and. Really, there's there's a lot of those senior players that are actually injured and off the list at the moment, so there's no good reason why they can't be there on the 1st of November. Um, you know, you can forgive someone like a Jonesy who may not be able to turn out because he's played, or potentially played every single game of the year. Um, but, you know, um, I'm hoping that someone like Tommy Mackle would be there on the first day to, to show the younger ones uh, what to do and what's, what's to be expected. Um, because just as well, we're probably going to have a, a, a whole stack of young ones available to us this year. <laughs> we need to be showing the way. Exactly. Um, is there anything else, uh, George? Uh, uh, the the only other things I think was there was that bit of good news during the week um, about uh, uh, the redevelopment available at Casey, where the state government's kicking in, I think, a six mil, and, and Casey Council or someone else is kicking in about two mil. Um, to uh, create a decent uh, VFLW and AFLW in particular uh, training uh, centre at uh, Casey Fields. Uh, I think that's great from the from the women's team perspective, but also no doubt there'll be flow-on effects to the Casey side and also uh, the Melbourne players who are playing in and around the Casey um, area as well. So getting getting that money and uh, to be able to, to build those facilities. Um, we all know about the lack of facilities that Melbourne's faced over the years. I think will be a great uh, fill-up to the club and particularly in, uh, the, the women's uh, side of it. Um, let's hope that uh, uh, by um, annual general meeting time this year that uh, there can be something uh, more definitive about um, a permanent long-term training base um, uh, for the main AFL um uh, list um, uh, because that's just as or, or perhaps more even more important than than uh, what's happening down at Casey. Though it's it's great news that um, the club has been able to negotiate uh, you know a spare eight million dollars um, to be able to get that up. And apparently it's uh, due to start being built in September and available and completed by next April. So that's a that's a good good uh, time to to get those things up and running as well. We don't won't be missing out on too much. That's fantastic. Uh, it'd be great uh, for our as you said our senior team to to find a, a home base and you know somewhere we can really call our own. And uh, hopefully they're well. From what I've heard, that you know he whispers here and there that uh, it's could be close. So um, yeah, good news. Yeah. It's interesting also the um, 
just as another little aside on finance, which is one of my other favourite um, <laughs> things in life, um, the, there was an article in The Age today about the uh, uh, Melbourne Cricket Club and the profit that, that they have made. Um, they've got assets currently of uh, $350 million and they made $17 million profit last year. And I dare say that most of that profit was not from cricket. Um, it's a result of um, uh, it's been a result of the football that's played at, at the ground. But uh, there was an interesting comment uh, at the bottom of it, which said, uh, "While Eminem and Bon Jovi concerts are great money spinners, committee members will tell you they are nothing compared to the pulling power of Collingwood and Melbourne being in form." Um, I suspect that's from Melbourne last year, not yeah. this year, but. Um, <laughs> But, but it does show uh, the importance of, of Melbourne Football Club to the MCC. Um, and the real pity is that, you know, uh, Melbourne, Melbourne Football Club seems to be almost on the begging bowl situation time and time again. And the MCC is doing very well out of our presence and other exactly, clubs as yeah. well. But, uh, you know, um, would have been what could have been in the past, um, we just have to deal with now. Um, but uh, the MCC is doing very nicely in terms of profit. That's good to hear. Well, look, I think we would if we had if we were able to have su sustained success for for more than one year in a row, uh, mm. and something like four, five, six years in a row, like the uh, CEO mentioned during the week. Um, you know, if we had, um, you know, that sustained success, uh, you would see our coffers filling up. But unfortunately, uh, if you going to have a year like we had and year on year on year like we had for the last 12 years prior to 2018 who's going to go watch that on a you know yeah and and from the finance perspective the um, these things have long-term effects you know that um, like I said the 12 previous years football clubs are designed not to make profits as such but the bits and pieces that you put in the bank every year make your life a lot easier in the coming year. That means you can get better coaches, better facilities, um, you know, better uh, recruiting staff, you know, multiples of, of those sort of people, although there's, the AFL's put caps on it. But the reality is that having money in the bank enables you to, and to have lots of options of, um, for the future. Um, and we've been the poor brethren of the MCC for a long, long time now. <laughs> And, and that has been uh, doubly compounded by the by the fact that you know we just haven't had success that causes people to turn up to games or want to turn up to games, and you know it's really it was really encouraging, particularly in that final series last year to watch ninety thousand people turn up to a game, and I reckon even in that Geelong game there was eighty thousand Melbourne supporters. Yeah. Um, it was quite remarkable. So if we can get that success, then that will lead to further success. Um, you know that's that's the Hawthorne story all over again. Um, they've done it very successfully, but their success was based in the you know the 80s and 90s, and and uh, only continued and they've benefited from it from that success. You know, 15 and 20 years later into the you know, their most recent run of premierships. Let's hope that happens to us one day. Here, here. All right, George. Uh, thank you very much for for joining me uh, tonight on, on the podcast. Uh, it's good to, good to have you, and I hope we uh, 
we hear from you uh, more often. Um, it's good to have uh, some extra from some new new blood on the podcast. <laughs> new uh, old so blood. New, thank new you, old. Thank you new very much blood. for the, uh, the uh, invitation. It's been a pleasure. Not a problem. Um, we'll be back uh, next next week, uh, same time, same channel. It's, guys, the season's almost over. Um, but not quite because we're going to, I'm sure George will feature quite heavily in trade week and, uh, and in the draft. So uh, there'll be plenty more demon content, uh, but uh, only two more weeks to suffer through of uh, the 2019 season. And then we can turn off our TVs and radios and internet. We're going to win d- this week, aren't we? Surely. Against you. Come on. Uh, well, uh, well, I don't know. I think I'm, ha- I think I'm happy with pick two. <laughs> I'm not going to. We're not tanking. No tanking here. But, uh, yeah, let's... Uh, Let's just forget this year. Uh, but, yeah, we might win. <laughs> anyway, I might make it more enjoyable to talk about uh, the team next week. All right, guys, uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you, George. Uh, thank you to Barb, who called in for a couple of minutes early in the program, a couple of seconds, actually. Um, we love calls, so uh, get your calls in next week. All right, go days.